0: Hello, friends. Welcome. So glad you could join me. I hope everyone had a good Christmas. I know I did. My family did. We went and visited the in-laws the day of, which, if you're curious, they're about 45 miles northeast of Houston. So my wife is from the only suburb that I had not heard of, the only suburb of Houston I hadn't heard of when we met, which is crazy. She went to the same high school as Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn, I believe, went to UT in Austin to play tight end, or at least had a scholarship to do so. And then, of course, signed to play baseball and became a big powerhouse lefty power hitter. But he he went to the same school as my wife, New Caney High School, it's called. This year was the first year that we did Santa Claus with any meaning for the first time with my daughter. And that was really cool. It was cool to see her face light up when she saw not just the gifts under the tree, but the whole plate of cookies missing in the morning. That was neat. Meanwhile, of course, I'm running to the bathroom every 20 minutes, Christmas Day, because I hadn't consumed that many cookies since I was probably her age, (laughs) And, you know, Santa's got a right back. There was a little note sitting next to the cookies. And I thought I was pretty ambidextrous because I I throw and bat left-handed, but I bowl right-handed, play tennis right-handed. I even write right-handed. But I have lost all ambidextrousness. Is that a word? Somebody, somebody give me a fact check on that ambidextrousness. I've lost it all. So, I wrote the note with the opposite hand, thinking that a two-year-old needs to be fooled that much. It took me forever to write that note. I'm I'm actually still writing it, the note back to my daughter from Santa, as I sit here crouched, talking in a low voice, hoping that she doesn't hear me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm that dad that treats his two-year-old like she's 36. True story, the other night we were upstairs in the master bedroom and my wife and I have lamps on our respective nightstands and my wife yells that dinner's ready and my little daughter Aria, she's two, she'll be three soon, so she's almost three. She's on my wife's side of the bed and turns off the lamp and says, dad, you turn off your lamp, I'll turn off mommy's and that way we'll be more efficient. And just turns around like a badass and goes downstairs. And I couldn't have been more proud. And I'm not trying to say, look at me. My, my little girl knows probably 12 words of Mandarin. <laughs> no, the reason she knows that is after bath time, I will put a sock on of hers and hand her the other sock and say, here, boo, put this on will be more efficient that way you know if you pull one sock on i'll put on the other one and we will be more efficient but homegirl went ahead and used the word in the right context the other day so i was pretty proud here's what i thought we'd do for this episode a lot of content creators do lists or best of or quotes at the end of the year and I thought I would close 2023 instead by commenting on others' lists. How about that? Cash me outside. Well, what, is, what does that mean? What I just said. That's not a 2023 thing. That Dr. Phil jam is from a few years ago, but I can't say, Cash me outside, or how about that without saying, Catch me outside. So, first up, quote from Andy Rooney. Remember Rooney? With the eyebrows. I love this quote at Christmas time. He said, or I should say, he once said, one of the most glorious messes in the world is the mess created in the living room on Christmas Day. Don't clean it up too quickly. Isn't that a great quote? Next is a short list of top five wealth killers by Peter Malouk. Peter Malouk is a Financial advisor in Kansas City, I believe. He's big on Twitter, or X, as the platform is now called. So this top five list of wealth killers. Number one, he said, by a landslide is credit card debt. High interest credit card debt will kill you. He is absolutely right. And I noticed it's ticking upward, the average interest rate on a credit card that people are paying now. It's up above 21%. And it it had declined for a few years there, but it's back up. Got to stay away from that if you're trying to build wealth. Number two, he said high student loans without a high earning degree. Definitely consider return on investment when you're sending your kid to school. When I was in school, the mocked the most mocked degree was underwater basket weaving. <laughs> Does everybody remember that? If you told somebody you were getting a degree in something other than engineering or elementary school teaching or nursing, they would say, Oh, your degree's in underwater basket weaving? Yeah, dude. And now I have. A YouTube series called Underwater Basket Weaving and I'm a Multi Millionaire What's Up? <laughs> not true. But what if somebody did that? How cool would that be? Because so many people have gone to YouTube school, basically, instead of spending tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands, on a university education and done really well. Number three on his list house or cars beyond your needs and with a higher carrying cost than you can afford. In other words, don't buy the McLaren to impress someone. They're probably going to think about themselves in your car, is what Morgan Housel says. Rather than be impressed with you, they're going to think of themselves. And the same thing with homes. People don't come to your house that much anyway, and when they do, they're going to say, you know... I really like the Jeffersons home. I'm going to upgrade mine. And then they're going to build something better than what you have. And then that's going to force you to do it even bigger. And then the race escalates until somebody dies. (laughs) Number four, a partner that encourages excessive spending. Boy, that's that's a big one. If you want Starbucks, you better be a barista, boo. (laughs) You want Lululemon? You better learn to write people's names on a whiteboard and and hang clothes against that whiteboard and say, your turn. Because Lululemon is not cheap. And when you work there, I think you get a 30% discount, which you should be getting like 78% discount. Because when you look on the little tag, it says... Made in Vietnam, and if you've ever visited Vietnam, I have you will know that you can get things incredibly cheap there. So, the margins on Lululemon are the reason that when I started recommending that place 10 years ago, if I had bought their stock, I would be talking to you as a very wealthy man right now. But I did not buy their stock so. We're just going to chat like this, okay? Just me and you. Personal lifestyle creep. The way I w- I would explain this is not to let your employer determine your raise. Now, what does that mean? What I just said? <laughs> so, if you make 72,000 a year and the following year you make 80 grand a year, that's an 8,000 a year bump or $666 a month. Don't spend the $666 a month. That's a bad luck number anyway, right? 666? No, but you got, what, 8 divided by 72? I don't even know what that is. That would be, give me a second. I got a calculator on my phone. What's up? 11%. So you get an 11% raise from your boss. Give yourself a 5% raise instead. Because I do know what... 70 to what 5% of 72 is. Actually, it's 360, 36. So anyway, spend 360 more a month instead of 666 a month. That's the list of five top top five wealth killers from Peter Maluk. Now I will go to something that Joseph Wells posted. As you know, Joseph was on the podcast... More than once, and actually interviewed me on this podcast a few years ago. He's also rich, he's written for manoverseas.com how to become the richest man in Babylon, which was a great article. Appreciate him doing that. He shared recently, Louis Lamour was one of the world's most popular authors. Here are 10 lessons I learned from reading his autobiography. Joseph, I appreciate you doing this. I'm going to comment on each of these. The first one is expect rejection and be pleasantly surprised by success. If you can handle rejection well, you will be unstoppable. Develop that skill set early. And it reminds me too of one of the quotes I wrote on the list I made for my 40th birthday. It was about competence. And I said, you should expect incompetence and be pleasantly surprised when you encounter competence unless someone works for you or with you expect incompetence and then just be pleasantly surprised when you encounter competence pretty much nowadays competence is endemic in our society sadly number two is don't let school interfere with your education there i'm reminded of the great charlie munger who just passed away r.i.p He made it to 99 years and 11 months, Charlie Munger. I wrote an article about him on manoverseas.com too. But don't let school interfere with your education. To me, that means be autodidactic. Become a lifelong learner, a self-directed learner. We have so many tools at our disposal nowadays. There's just no excuse not to be constantly learning. Number three, only judge people of the past, based on standards of the past. There I'm reminded of driving to my mom's house in New Orleans. When you're on the interstate, you go right past the Superdome, where the Saints play. On the left, there's Robert E. Lee Circle. They called it Robert E. Lee Circle because there was a statue there of Robert E. Lee Circle. I don't think they've changed the name of the circle, (laughs) but the statue's not there anymore sad ideas this is number 4 ideas are everywhere all you have to do is pay attention attention is currency and it's become the most valuable currency there is because our attention spans have waned so much so if you can learn to focus nowadays as a younger younger person coming up you will really really separate yourself and the best way i know to do this is either through a meditation practice or just Develop the habit of reading books. Immerse yourself in books. That will concentrate the mind for a very long time. Number five, just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you can't learn from them. Yes, golly, like if Barack Obama says that I'm going to avoid decision fatigue by wearing the same two suits every day, don't say, Oh, that's, I'm not going to listen to that idea. That's stupid. Barack Obama's an idiot. I don't, believe, I don't agree with any of his politics, so I'm not going to take that advice. No, decision fatigue is a real thing. If you can avoid the decision of what to wear in the morning, that's a smart idea from a, a pretty bright guy. So don't dismiss someone just because you disagree with 99% of what they believe. That would be stupid on your part. Take what you can from everyone. If Donald Trump wanted to offer you a tip on how to negotiate real estate, you'd be stupid to put your fingers in your ear and say nanny nanny boo boo. And yeah, you can steal that one from me if you want nanny nanny boo boo. You don't have to credit me. Use it. (laughs) Having an opinion is not the same as thinking. The latter is more valuable than the former. Here, I I think of someone who regurgitates what they've heard on Fox News or CNN. It's just having an opinion that, that you can predict what they've heard. I have a story. I was in Romania with a buddy who is quite left of center, and I knew not to discuss politics with him because if you even bring up an idea that he is not familiar with, it will upset him. And he is actually not a Facebook friend of mine any longer. (laughs) And I imagine it's because of this one conversation, if I had to guess. But I brought up to him the idea of, or the possibility of, the climate change agenda being a Trojan horse for the redistribution of wealth. And I lip synced with him the argument that 97% of climate scientists like i said it with him at the same time thinking he might be impressed he was he got pissed like real pissed and then told me i was brainwashed and my parents must be hardcore republicans and yeah i was defriended so how you doing bud <laughs> no more feelings i mean i i would never unfriend somebody because of Politics and I wasn't even sharing my opinion. I just just like, hey, have you ever thought about this? Anyway, only one who has learned much can fully appreciate his ignorance. I don't think the two are related. I'm on number seven. Only one who has learned much can fully appreciate his ignorance. Yeah, the more you know, the the more you realize you don't know, and therefore, I think smart people become humble. At least that's what I've noticed. The best way to be a bad manager is to act before you understand a situation. The best way to be a bad manager is to act before you understand a situation. Yeah, so create a gap between stimulus and response. There again, meditation can help there. You, you couldn't be a good manager if you acted Yeah, that would be too emotional, right? You'd have low emotional intelligence if you couldn't help resolve an issue without first understanding the situation. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, number nine, talent is nothing but long patience. I love that. I remember when I was in college, an ex-girlfriend's dad was paying me to do these control boxes, and I'm about as technical, like he wanted me to do the wiring, and I had a diagram to follow I'm about as technical as an engineer's dog. He said he was going to pay me $5 per. And I th- I was like, yeah, an extra job. Great. I'll do this at night. And that first night, I was, it was like 1 a.m. And I was still trying to get this thing wired. And I made five bucks that night. And I started at, I don't know, 6 p.m., 6.30, right after dinner. So what is that? 50 cents an hour, something like that. By night 5 I was doing 3 of those suckers a night. So I was making big dollars. I got up to where I was making about 1750 an hour. And if you remember the book The Talent Code, they talk about myelin develops when you practice. Practice, practice, practice and you you start to automate, you know, like you're not thinking about which strings on the guitar to 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 play. Anyway, that was my experience in talent is nothing but long patience because I just had to be patient and I got really efficient over time. How about that? Number 10, let people know what you're looking for. Often the best information will come from the least likely sources. My last guest was, as I said, born in the 21st century, the only guest. I consider him a, a friend. I can learn a lot from that guy, can't? Can't you learn a lot from someone who's 22 if you're just willing to pay attention? So that's, that's the thought that comes to mind there. Let people know what you're looking for. Often the best information will come from the least likely of sources. Yeah, a lot of people don't think they can learn anything from people younger than them. You see this in corporate America all the time. All the time. People, people think there's nothing that can be learned from someone who's 10 years they're younger. And that is so untrue. Especially with how fast technology is changing the world. Which lesson is your favorite? Okay, so he goes on to say if you enjoyed this, make sure to follow me for, the, for more lessons from authors, athletes, and entrepreneurs you can apply to your work. He also credits The Sampar at The Sampar. Pretty sure that's where I heard about this book. Louis Lamour, Education of a Wondering Man. Thank you, Joseph Wells. These are fun. Let's do a few more. I'll do one that's a little on the lighter side, and then we'll do one that requires a little more thinking. So this one's from Game Seduction. Again, from X. He says, by age 40, you should be smart enough to realize these simple unspoken rules for men. Number one. Don't make the first offer in a negotiation. Number two never make the first offer in a negotiation. (laughs) So he wants to emphasize that you don't want to make the first offer in a negotiation. If there's something here that's said that's self-evident, I won't comment. I'll just continue. Number three says, dress well, no matter the occasion. I have noticed we don't dress as well as we used to. I think JFK may have had something to do with this. Remember back in the old baseball stadiums like they'd show Babe Ruth hitting back in the 1930s or something and you could see everyone in the stands was wearing a hat well JFK was opposed to hats and thereafter people stopped wearing hats and that may be when people stopped dressing as well and if you see how people dress at baseball games today or especially on airplanes jeez so we could probably all use an upgrade in our wardrobe. I know when I was about 30, I was dating a girl who called me out. It, she said, you've been wearing the same thing since college. It's obvious. And she was right. And my clothes didn't fit that well. And I started to notice that some of the older guys at the office were better dressed and their clothes were tailored. And so I started going to a tailor and sure enough... You don't even realize how poorly you're wearing clothes, like where your underarm is, that area from your waist to your underarm, that can get a little baggy. When you get that tailored and the shirt fitting well, you look better, you feel better, and it's a whole new world and you'll never go back. So highly, highly encourage you once you get to a certain age, make enough money to have your clothes tailored. It's worth it. I I say do it. Number four, no one will come to save you. Your life is 100% your responsibility. Indeed. Your inner circle must be focused on money, success, and starting a family. Yeah, I would say your inner circle's values should be aligned with yours. Number six, the family you create is more important than the family you come from. Also true. What I'll say there is... The good thing about being observant and taking time to think and reflect is that you can recognize where your parents did well with traditions, let's say, like the stockings on the mantle, on the fireplace. If you like that tradition, you like what Santa Claus did for you as a kid, well, then you can do that for your kid and carry on the tradition. And then wherever your parents may have not done well, you can nix that. (laughs) And then there are some that are funny. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the mom who was cutting a third of the ham and throwing it away. And one day her daughter said, Mom, why do you do that with the ham? And what they determined was it had been done for a 100 years because back in the late 19th century, they had a little bitty stove, and so the ham had to be cut at Thanksgiving in order to fit inside the stove. So every year thereafter, they were wasting As stoves changed, they were wasting a third of a ham. So, so many tools and resources, books out there for us to learn how to do things differently nowadays. There's just no excuse to continue doing things the way your parents did them just because they did them a certain way. So, I say take the good, discard the rest. Just like this podcast episode. Number seven says don't take everything too personally. I like that he said don't take everything too personally because most people say don't take things too personally. I mean, you don't want to take anything personally. So he said don't take everything too personally. There you go. Why should you? Don't. Number eight, you're a reflection of the four people you spend the most time with. (laughs) I made that up because he said five and I'm going to say four because I don't think people are spending as much time, especially post-COVID with as many people as they used to, and you don't want to be like everybody else, so we should start mixing that quote up and saying it a little differently. (laughs) That way people, they'll pay attention, right? It won't become cliche. When somebody says, you're the average of the four people you spend the most time with, you'll think, oh, yeah, the the four people I spend the most time with, that makes sense. Be different. Number nine, stay silent. Not everything needs to be said. I was talking with a top salesperson recently and we had this conversation where if you're in a prospect meeting, you have to know when to hold your tongue. So for example, if they share a story about getting a flat tire, you probably have a story about a flat tire too. But you have to determine whether or not it's worth their time for you to share that story. In a professional setting, it probably isn't. But you have to be discerning and determine, is this story worth telling? Like I'm doing right now. (laughs) This story probably isn't worth telling. You'll make your own judgments and do just fine. But it's something to think about. I remember telling my nephew at a wedding We were standing among the groomsmen, and he started telling this wandering story that went on for seven minutes, and I said, hey, bud, you got to ask yourself, is this story worth telling? (laughs) And I'll bet you he'll remember that the rest of his life, because I did call him out in front of about 10 other dudes that were 30 years old. (laughs) But something a lot of people without self-awareness don't ask themselves, unfortunately. Number 10, if you're not invited, don't go. I would say this applies to if you are invited, don't go half the time. 11, protect, yourse- protect who's behind you and respect who is be- beside you. Protect who's behind you. Yeah, so that would maybe be your kids and respect who's beside you. Maybe that's your spouse. I don't know. Number 12, don't beg for a relationship speaks for itself number 13 never pose with alcohol i don't know if this was written for 40 year olds or 14 year olds number 14 is be honest number 15 if you work on yourself you don't struggle yeah you can preempt a lot of ailments by being harder on yourself in the gym as an example that's it that's the list i told you it was going to be pretty simple Let's find one that's a little bit more thought-provoking. There's a guy named Gurwinder on X. And he says, in 2023, I learned hundreds of useful concepts. Here are 20 of the best to equip you for 2024. Perfect. That's what we're looking for, Gurwinder. G-U-R-W-I-N-D-E-R. Number one is licensing effect. Believing you're good can make you behave bad. Those who consider themselves virtuous worry less about their own behavior, making them more susceptible to ethical lapses. A big cause of immorality is self-righteous morality. I'll buy that. Virtue signalers on social media a lot of times feel like they don't have to behave well. They've already signaled their virtue on social media. Why be good to the person standing next to them? Number two, Moravec's paradox. What's easy for humans is hard for AI, and vice versa. For instance, differential calculus requires far less compute than merely climbing steps. Thus, AI will likely replace most of what white-collar experts can do before it replaces most blue-collar laborers. Yeah, we can go upstairs better than AI. (laughs) Come on, AI, try, try and keep up with all this advanced technical moves that I'm, that I'm making up these stairs here. Tarswell's razor is number three. Emotion causes bias, but it also causes motivation. As such, we're, more, we're most likely to act when our judgment can be trusted least. Solution, don't trust thoughts you have while emotional. Instead, pause and wait for the feeling to pass before acting. I'm not sure I agree with this one. Emotion can cause bias. Emotion can cloud reason, he says, but it also causes motivation. Yeah, that's true. So the sensations in your body, flowing through your body, that can be motivational. As such, he says, we're most likely to act when our judgment can be trusted least. But if you've thought about it beforehand, if it's something you want to do, and you feel coursing through your veins some emotion whether it causes bias or not it might cause bias toward action toward getting getting you to the gym or getting you to record a podcast or getting work done so i'm i'm a little mixed on that one let's see number six dartmouth scar i like this one a lot in 1991 Psychologist Robert Kleck pretended to paint a scar on people's faces, then send them into job interviews. They reported discrimination due to the scar, even though they had no scar. Few things victimize us more than the belief that we're a victim. (laughs) So they didn't actually have a scar on their face, and they went into the interview, didn't get the job, came back. Hey, they didn't like me because I had a scar. Hey, bro, (laughs) there's no scar. We tricked you. Okay, number seven, golden mean. Good character is not about maximizing virtues, but moderating them. To be sensitive without being fragile. Confident without being cocky. Steadfast without being stubborn. Driven without being reckless. Focused without being obsessed. Number eight, the reading recession. There is more text than ever, yet people are reading ever less and outsourcing writing to chatbots. This is dangerous because language is the basis of thought. And if you can't read or write well, you won't think well. And then he posts a graphic that shows that reading for pleasure has declined in popularity. The average time spent reading for pleasure per day by Americans 15 years and older is... Let's see, in '04, it was 23 minutes. Nowadays, the amount of time spent reading for pleasure per day by Americans 15 years and older is 16 minutes. So down from 23 minutes in 2004. How about that? Number nine, bandwidth tax. Being poor is expensive. Constantly managing scarce resources requires such mental effort intellectual and emotional, that there's little brain power left for anything else. Thus, poverty makes it hard to escape poverty. Number ten, purva-paksha. You won't understand an opposing view till you earnestly try to argue in favor of it. Doing so will override your natural inclination to strawman the argument and force you to confront its strongest, most reasonable form, which is usually its actual form. This reminds me of Charlie Munger, who believed that you should not argue for a point unless you know its counter-argument before you even begin to argue. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Number 11, cynical genius illusion. Cynical people are seen as smarter, but sizable research suggests they actually tend to be dumber. Cynicism is not a sign of intelligence, but a substitute for it, a way to shield oneself from betrayal and disappointment without having to actually think. Have you ever been in a group and expressed something simple like an observation? Let's say I went to Central and Eastern Europe and came back and said, those are the most beautiful women in the world. And somebody in the group says, well, that's subjective. And it's like, yeah, no shit, (laughs) you know, (laughs) save it, bro. We get your, you're smart. Or the, give me, let me think of another one. When you incorporate in your story something that conveys the placebo effect, we all know what the placebo effect is, right? When you take a salt pill instead of the real pill, and then you get healthy. And it's the placebo effect. And you can tell, of course, many variations of story using the placebo effect. And it's obvious that that's what you've done. And then somebody says, bro, that's the placebo effect. Yeah, I know. But that's not the point of the story. <laughs> I don't know. Those, those kind of folks. They're, they're like the, either the one-uppers or the negative Nancys or the straw man person Maybe a better example of this is the exception guy. You share this well thought out story, something you've really thought through, and maybe it involves an engineer. And you say, Engineers are so detail oriented and meticulous. And some guy at the table's like, Nah, bro, my uncle's an engineer, can't even make a 90 degrees with his elbow. <laughs> Thanks for your contribution, Jimmy. We'll move on with Gerwinder here. Number 12, Weber-Fechner Law. Each bottom square contains 10 more dots than the one above. This is noticeable when the dots are few, but not when there are many. This blind spot is why you care about saving $10 when buying a burger, but foolishly not when buying a car. I know you can't see the graphic here unless you visit Gerwinder's page on X, but what... What he's talking about here is when you buy the $1,000 suit and then get it tailored, of course, for $200, and then the salesperson tries to sell you a belt for $175, the likelihood that you will buy that belt goes way up because you're already spending $1,200 on the suit. Whereas if you had walked into that department store to buy a belt, you probably wouldn't have spent more than, say, $80. Instead, you find yourself spending 175 because, for obvious reasons, you've just spent so much money, and the 175 by comparison, doesn't seem like much. I have a personal fashion consultant, not that I've used, but that's a friend of mine. If anyone needs assistance, let me know. I will refer you to her. She's really good, really personable. Number 13, Benford's Law of Controversy. We tend to fill gaps in information with emotion. We fear what we don't understand, love what we naively romanticize. As such, the things that fire people up most are usually the things they understand least. This becomes obvious at protests, for example. They put a microphone in front of somebody at a protest. Hey, why are you here? I, I don't know. Just Things aren't good. Just here to occupy, you know? Number 14, Rothbard's Law. If a talent comes naturally to someone, they assume it's nothing special and instead try to improve at what seems difficult to them. As a result, people often specialize in things they're bad at. That's interesting. It makes for a lesser society. People need to be told when they're good at something. That's why we should value people who are willing to compliment others. When you recognize their cape as coach powell so well put it remember i had an olympian sprinter on twice this year in 2023 he talked about how you can't see your own cape somebody has to tell you the implication being the superman cape there are things that you are super talented in and sometimes you don't realize it and it takes that one teacher when i was a senior in high school in food science nutrition she told me she said you know you're going to be in sales and business someday and and I was I had never thought about it. And she said, But yeah, because you're you're quick on your feet and yeah, I think you I think people would like dealing with you and and I thought, you know what? I like you. You know, you usually like people who like you back. (laughs) So anyway, maybe it's a coincidence I went into that field. I also had naysayers. I've told this story before, but I had an ex girlfriend whose mom told me I was never gonna be good in sales because I wasn't gregarious enough. I didn't. She thought I didn't talk to people enough or initiate discussion, but she's wrong. <laughs> Not to say she's wrong because I'm good, but I talk to plenty of people, as you can tell from a hundred episodes of the podcast. They didn't invite themselves. Number fifteen: the Kiss Principle. The design of everything is gradually being stripped down because simple is easy and safe. The less safe. Or the less there is, the less there is to offend or justify. But such rampant minimalism comes at a cost. Our cultures are losing their uniqueness and identity. This is so true. If you travel to places like Paris or Budapest, you will notice on side streets that hardly anyone goes down, gargoyles and details on the facades of these buildings that is Unreal. Makes you want to take a picture, but it's hard to because it's a skinny little alley that you can hardly maneuver your camera to take a picture of, but it's beautifully done. And Buenos Aires in Argentina, where Javier Malay was just uh, elected president, where I believe Vivek Ramaswamy just said he's going to be a case study in whether or not you can vote yourself out of poverty. Interesting tidbit there. But that's another place where the architecture is wonderful. And I just hate to see that go away for efficiency or, as Gerwinder calls it, the KISS principle, which I assume means keep it simple, stupid. So you just build buildings quickly, erect them, walk away, build the next one. Or you go to neighborhoods a lot in Houston, in the suburbs especially, and every third home looks exactly the same. It's cheaper to do. Number 16, explore, exploit, trade-off. The young own little, so have little to lose, and are free to experiment and overturn norms. The old own much, so can't risk experimenting, and need stability to safeguard the lives they've built, a key reason people become more conservative with age. I'm sure we've all heard the old adage, if you're, 20 years old and not a liberal, you don't have a heart. And if you're 40 years old and not a conservative, you don't have a brain. That, of course, is what comes to mind when I read that. But yes, people do tend to become more conservative as they get older. The arc of happiness. This is number 18. Self-reported happiness graphed by age is smile-shaped The optimism of youth becomes cynicism as responsibilities mount and dreams collide with reality. But after midlife, happiness rises again as people accept reality and learn to enjoy the small things. And I'll add the things that matter, like living close to your friends. Galloway's Razor. Research shows people enjoy possessions less than they expected, and they enjoy experiences more than they expected. In the end, people value what they did much more than what they owned. So if you want to buy happiness, choose adventures over luxury goods. One of my clients later this year is planning to travel the world and was asking for some of my advice. And it related specifically to whether he should keep a blog or a video log or just consistently produce content for others. And one of the things I told him was that I probably have 17,000 pictures on my phone. The amount of times that I go back and look at pictures from Croatia or South Africa or the South Island of New Zealand, which I have said before, when you're driving through the South Island of New Zealand, you get as much out of that three hour drive as you go from location to location as you do Your destination for the day it is so beautiful you want to stop every 10 minutes and take a picture it's painting-esque i mean it's beautiful but when i'm laying on my couch and scrolling through my old pictures i'm looking at pictures of my daughter and baby videos of my daughter 25x to 1 pictures of the south island of new zealand so, just something to keep in mind. My client doesn't yet have kids, but once you have kids, it just speaks to how much more important relationships and people are to things and places. So, yes, I do value spending money on experiences, of course, over things, but as far as keeping a log, it's not going to matter that much. You're not going to go back over your pictures and videos from 2014. In fact, I was talked into getting Facebook by my best man. He said, you're going to want to have a log of your life. And that convinced me. I thought, that's great. You know, they create it for you. And then you can always go back and see what you were doing in 2013. How many times have you guys gone back to Facebook in 2013 to see what you were doing? Although I will say the reminders are pretty cool. Here's what you were doing seven years ago. But I never spend... 40 minutes scrolling back to 2013 to see what was going on in my life. Maybe if they made that easier, I might do it. But again, I'm more concerned about my daughter's upbringing, the the pictures when she was young than myself. So I guess that speaks to the selflessness that comes when you become a parent. A parent, not a parent. It becomes a parent when you're a parent. How about that? Epistemic luck. You know that if you'd lived in a different place or time, read different books, had different friends, you'd have different beliefs. And yet you're convinced that your current beliefs are correct. So are you wrong? Or are you the luckiest person ever? (laughs) Or am I origami? Hold it up and just pretend. There's another great follow on X at K-P-A-X-S, he posted this. It says, origami intricately folds complexity into art, while clear communication artfully unfolds complexity into clarity. A valuable principle to keep in mind is what At Del Analuca calls the clarity standard. It says, don't aim to be clear enough to be understood. Instead, aim to be so clear you cannot be misunderstood. You haven't really communicated until you feel you have over-communicated. That's something I didn't learn until I was married, I would say. I tend to assume people know what I know, and maybe we all struggle with this, but I would say getting married helped to communicate more, and then raising a daughter helps me even more because I will repeat things two and three times to make sure that I'm understood. Of course, it started in a business career. You, of course, want to communicate clear and concisely in a way that you hope you're understood well. Otherwise, you won't have success. But he goes on to say you, you haven't really communicated until you feel you have over communicated And any manager can dump a bunch of unstructured, crumpled up information on his team. However, for people to absorb your message properly, however, you need to serve it up skillfully. And I think that speaks to the value of thinking about what you want to say before you say it. I remember the astrophysicist Tyson, the guy with the big, loud, boisterous voice He says one of the reasons he communicates so well in public is because every word he's ever said in public, he's practiced saying before going out in public. And I thought, wow. And you've probably heard me say this before, too. But reading aloud is a really good way to practice your speech and communication. And what's more important than communication? Just about nothing. So my wife and I started taking turns reading aloud to each other. And it's a great way to spend quality time. You get more books read that way. It's enjoyable. And it's a great way to practice your public speaking. With AI coming soon, we're going to have to figure out ways to differentiate ourselves. They're probably going to be able to mimic our voices and our tones and our inflections. (laughs) So I don't know if that's going to help, but just something I was thinking about. Some other things I'll share before I let you go. Huberman, you know, the Huberman podcast. He shares a lot of great info on how to be healthy. He said if there are three exercises that he had to do the rest of his life, they are glute ham raises or Nordic curls. That's number one. Two would be ring dips and three would be sprints. Again, I'll mention that I had an Olympic sprinter on the podcast twice this year. I take I take sprinting very seriously. I hope that you will take time out to review the previous year, 2023, figure out what went well, what didn't go well, what did you learn? Who did you meet? Who did you meet in 2023 that you'd like to build a relationship with? Did you achieve what you set out to do in life's most important areas? Those being relationships, number one. Who are the four people you spend the most time with? Maybe that's two through five, because number one is God. How's your relationship with God going? So then, second most important category might be spiritual. Set some spiritual goals. Maybe a bullet point underneath that is charitable giving. Then you have your business and investing goals. Your personal health goals. You don't have your health, you don't have anything. And I'm going to close with something on personal health here in a minute. I used to close talks and little speeches I would give more before COVID, but I would close with an exercise that I had stolen from another speaker. I don't remember who, so I apologize in advance, but it wasn't copied exactly, so I don't know that it needs attribution. Anyway, I would ask everyone in attendance to close their eyes and think of someone in the room that they wanted to have a great day that day or that they wanted to have a great week or a great year. We can do this exercise together now if you are not driving. I've got my eyes closed. And I'd say just for 10 seconds or so, think about somebody in the room. Think about somebody in your life and wish success and good health on that person. See them having a big day. See, see high-fiving them and hugging them and saying, man, I'm proud of you because they're so excited they had a big day. And see yourself celebrating with them. And they may never know it, but you played a big part in the joy and excellence they experienced that day or that week or that year. I think sometimes when we're reflecting on our own lives, And this is the time to do it at the end of the year, as the new year is about to start. This is when we reflect on the the past year. This is when we take what we've learned in the previous year and figure out how we're going to get better next year. That time is now. But as we do that, as we set goals for ourselves, we tend to forget we want those around us to succeed too. And we want to be just as happy for their successes as our own. And for many, for many of us, this takes the form of prayer. Maybe you've been praying all your life for individuals that you know well. Maybe you've been doing it for a long time, and if so, wonderful. But I know a lot of guys that weren't raised in the church. But even if you were, don't be afraid to mix it up with a new, a new exercise. I think I learned it from a Tim, Tim Ferriss book. Tools of Titans or one of those. But how cool when at the end of the day or the week, when the person you thought about for 10 seconds during an exercise, when that person comes over to give you a, a, his usual dap on a Friday, he's leaving the office or leaving the field. He says, hey, dude, have a good weekend. And maybe you can say, hey, that 10 second exercise we did the other day, I had you, man. Great job. That said, I'm going to be taking a break from the podcast. I, uh, I've been dealing with it. It's like a degenerative disc issue. And it's been given, given me, uh, more pain than I'm used to dealing with. So I need to take a rest, but I promise you I'll be back. And when I come back, I'm coming back with a vengeance. Have a big 2024. We'll do big things together. Thank you.